It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner, joined by Chad Brendel of BearcatJournal.com and Rick Roaring from MusketeerReport.com. Welcome into this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the college basketball edition. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports columnist and editor with Chad Brendel from Bearcat Journal, Rick Brewing from Musketeer Report. Uh, i got a lot of ground to cover, uh, and let's just dive right into uh, to probably the most recent, which is uh, um, Xavier surviving to some degree against Marshall. Back-to-back games in which um, they have to rally to beat East Tennessee, had to survive Marshall. Is there any issues coming out of those games, Rick, or is it just, all right, you didn't suffer the bad loss that could have hurt you come seed time? I think I tend to lean towards more towards the latter. It's You've survived two games. I mean, the second one, especially when you didn't have JP, you didn't have Kaiser, and then you lose Najee Marshall by halftime, that's kind of just a survive any way you can and get out of there with a win, regardless of who you're playing, regardless of how bad Marshall may be defensively or whatever else. And they're um, bad. Yeah. And the game before Not that. offensively. The game before that against East Tennessee State, it was a situation where Xavier just wasn't themselves for, for whatever reason. And I think you can read into that as much as you want. If you want to tell me, hey, that's two games in a row where they played inferior competition at the Cintas Center where they're usually very, very good – and they didn't look like the team we've seen. I can I can understand if you feel like that hey, that's that's not a good sign. At the same time, I think you also saw some things where you're like, man, Xavier can have three of their top six guys not playing. You can have Trayvon completely disappear, and you still have two guys like Karam Canner and Quentin Gooden step up and carry and you still you down built the a twenty plus point lead. I mean, you let it evaporate, but you still built that lead too. Right, and and I mean down the stretch, you literally watch. A guy who, I mean, out of your starting five, Quentin Gooden's probably your fifth option right. offensively. And then Karam Canner is your sixth or seventh option offensively, you would think, in terms of how your rotation goes. And those two guys score 17 of your last 19 in that game and really made some big plays. So it's kind of like, I think you see there's some good and some bad out of those last two games. And I, I think you can read into it as much as you want to. Well, it forces it forces two guys who probably wouldn't be an option down the stretch to 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 do it now. If a team decides down the stretch of a game, they're somehow going to take Trayvon Blewett out of it, and JP McCurry can't throw one in the ocean. Quentin Good maybe says, "All right, I can I can go back. I remember that game where I took over, and Canner can remember a game that he took over." I I don't think it is a bad. I think I think that there are some signs that you allowed East Tennessee State to build a twenty-two point lead in that game. Yeah, but I'd be I, more concerned with that one. Than yeah, Marshall. but but the Marshall one, I think there 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 was a lot of good that came out of it, especially when you didn't have the main guys. You had some other guys that need to step up, step up when you needed them to do so. Yeah, without question. I mean, again, the the Marshall thing. It's sort of like when you're in that type of situation, it really. It's really tough to judge anything that happens, regardless of it. If you play great, you play terribly, whatever, it doesn't mean a whole lot just because you take the best three pl- or three of the top six players off of any team in the country, they're going to look vastly different. No doubt. Uh, the, the flip side, and I'm not looking to make an excuse here, but you, you went through that, that stretch of, of, of games and you got to this four-game stretch. We even talked about it. the main thing is get out of it without injuries. Well, you, you didn't because you had a couple, couple guys that, that missed. But the human nature of it is, all right, we got through our rival. We got through Baylor. Um, you know, this stretch of four games, you, you, know, you start to look ahead to, to the conference, and that's the next next hurdle. I think human nature kicks into the point of you get results like you did the last two games. Well, I think that's a part of it. I also think just being nicked up at the wrong time, right. having multiple guys dealing with stuff, and you kind of have that it's not big games that you're fired up and playing off of adrenaline and playing through those nagging injuries. You get through finals. Yeah, right. Get, get through finals. Right, that, that right. open period there. Yeah, I mean, it. It's happened to a lot of teams. We saw we, North we Carolina just, we've last seen it, night. We've seen it the last couple of days. Yeah, Xavier survived it. Yeah. Like that's the East Tennessee State game. I, I do think there are some concerns that come out of that, but more than anything, they just missed a ton of shots that they normally hit, especially at Centos Center. Yeah, the the difference between East Tennessee State and Marshall though is East Tennessee State's a reasonably good team. I mean, like they're a borderline top one hundred type team yeah. that that can compete. With a very good coach. We talked about that on yeah. the last Skinny Podcast. I'm, um, and I'm a big Steve Forbes guy. They're a senior laden team doing real things and playing real basketball. Marshall is just so gimmicky, gimmicky and so ridiculous that it's like whatever. I mean, you know, what I mean, you can't yeah. realistically you can't lose that game. The East Tennessee State game, they very much could have lost. They had had a lot of things go their way and they still needed 
a game winner with six seconds left from Trayvon. Yeah, and we saw with the Marshall UC game last year. Marshall can go through stretches where they throw everything in, and they can go through stretches where they're one of 16, and the thing is they're not getting stops. 14 so, threes and a half last year right, in Cincinnati. Right. I mean, it looked like a world beater. The problem yeah. is they just, they, they're just they not interested in getting any stops whatsoever, so they can make runs like they did in the UC game last year and like they did coming back against, against Xavier. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think – you look at what ha- what's happened to some of these other teams, North Carolina specifically Wofford, with the Wofford yep. game. I'm sure we might talk a little bit more about that. But we've you we, you've talked about this point a lot this year, and I think it's a good one, especially when you're talking about the Xavier team. So much of college basketball is your best players being able to take over right. and be good at the right moments and having that quote-unquote killer on the court. I think that's what we, we keep talking about, the parity at the top of the top ten teams this year. I think that's what some of these other teams are lacking at the top. They don't have those guys that can take over and create their own offense, and you know exactly where the ball's going. You know exactly how they're going to handle the situation in late-game crunch-time moments. I mean, you think about Kansas has that issue, I think. North Carolina certainly has that issue, as we saw last Duke night. to an extent. I th- the only difference with Duke, They've though, got is Grayson Allen. you've got Grayson, who's experienced and can really make shots from the perimeter. And then you have Bagley, who, like, he may not be a freak. He may not be that way yet, but he's so good that he really can take over the game over like a seven-possession stretch or whatever yeah. at the end. So, I, I, you're right. I mean, Duke, it's a little questionable, but at the same time, like, I think they're so talented. They supersede that. I think the top four right now all kind of have – you don't question I, as much. Well, Villanova kind of well, has it. Villanova yeah, has it for sure. Michigan. Brunson. Well, I'm going to throw another team at you here in a second. Michigan State has it in Bridges. Um, I think Duke has it enough with Grayson and Marvin Bagley. Um, and Arizona State. And Arizona State definitely has it with their guards. I'll tell you what, another, and, and I know this is probably premature, but I've watched them a couple times. I'm starting to fall in love with them. Oklahoma. I, I, yeah, Trey Young. Yeah. They have a killer. They have a killer. Premature I, is kind of your thing. Yeah, it is. But no, I, I, I really like And I'm not just talking about just the Wichita game. I mean, I, the last couple times no, I've watched he's a, there, he's a he's bad a, dude. He's really good. I mean, anytime you go 26 points, 22 assists in what, like 24 yeah, minutes? Yeah, that's insane. Pretty good. That's absolutely. No, I, I, I don't think they're a top five team, but. He's going to make them a tough out. Very. Without question. And he was a little bit over, not really overshadowed. I mean, everyone knew how good he was. They all saw him plenty. But he wasn't talked about in the same way because he played with Michael Porter. And so I think a lot of times it was just, well, he's the, he's, he's he's the sidekick the, yeah, yeah. and no one pays attention to him. To the number one kid. Uh, recall correctly, he was the MVP of the Peach Jam. Yeah, and he was always the guy who yeah. got... 30 every game no matter what and he shot way too often and so people kind of got frustrated with him with that but he was always uber uber confident in terms of running his team and and getting his own looks and we're seeing that in college like i mean he's playing in the perfect system too yeah lon kruger just lets them run up and down he gives them a ton of freedom and someone asked us on twitter if we were going to talk about that and he wanted to know how does that happen and i said i think a big part of it is you would see more of the freaks the one and done the top tier talents put up gaudy numbers like this if their coaches didn't micromanage possessions all right, the time and right. low, you know, place low. If you let your guys run up and down the court and do their thing offensively, you'd see some of the freaks take over like this. I think that's a bit of an exaggeration on that performance because there hasn't been a 22 assist, 20 point, 22 assist game in two decades. Right, and, and that's my point. It doesn't happen because most coaches don't allow their stars to play that way. I'm not saying that would happen all the time. That's as good as it gets. But we would see... That's responsible for 70 points, basically. Yeah. <laughs> that performance is so ridiculous, though, because we don't see anything close to yeah, it uh, around here. And we would see bigger numbers if teams ran up and down the floor more often. Yeah, by the way, this is the time of year when you start looking at standings. Hardly anybody's played conference games, so they're usually ranked. And you see the better teams. It is funny to look in the ACC, where there's only been one conference game played, and you see Duke at the very the very bottom of the standings. That will obviously change, but it is it is funny to see um, one of the top teams in the country. Kai Bowman. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Right. They're, and, they're, and they're on top. Number one. They're the only one that's got to, got to win. They're the only one that's... That, Just uh, like everybody thought. Only game in that league that was played. Um, let's touch uh, on, on Xavier Northern Iowa, too, Rick, because th- this is also... Um, I, I think the health is the big part of this game because it's a danger this is danger a, this, yeah this is a danger game um it's the it, polar I, opposite of what you just played I, I don't think it would be an awful awful loss but it's certainly not going to be a, a good loss the only good part about it is you would be on the road and you take that into consideration but this is a really tough spot for them depending on the health of some guys and one guy you really we haven't mentioned is, is what's going on with Trayvon Blewett 
Yeah, I mean, Trayvon just completely disappeared in the second half of that Marshall game. and Was it fatigue? Was it injury-related? Was it... I know he's been dealing with some sort of undisclosed stuff, you know, been limited in practice and things like that leading up to that game. So I think there's something going on. I don't know how much of it was just, hey, he had an off night, which you're entitled to. I mean, it happens. Um, or how much of it was he really didn't look like himself. And they certainly did some things to take a, take away from it. They, they packed four guys in the lane, limited him, and said, you know, Quentin Gooden can shoot all he wants. Right. These other guys can shoot all they want. Gates isn't on the floor. McCura isn't on the floor. We're really going to pack it in and, and help against Blewett. So I think that they, they did some things defensively to take him away. But, yeah, that would be a concern, seeing it, you know if he's not himself when you go to Northern Iowa and you don't have that leader and go-to player. And I think Kaiser Gates and J.P. McCura will probably play. Who knows with Najee Marshall since this just happened. He's probably day-to-day at this point. Rough spot to get it was back hip area right yeah it's lower back thing and he's been dealing with a lower back thing all year off and on back spasms or something um yeah and and the 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 thing though with with what the way canter's played is it's not like you can't make up for that point production no uh, it's not so much it's just the extra body yeah it's the extra body and the versatility you know offensively and defensively they don't beat you uh East Tennessee State without him. No, without what? I mean, he was huge down the stretch during the big run. Uh, Yeah, and it it wasn't even just the points. It felt like he was making plays down the stretch, that that entire danger zone where they, you know, down 13 with four left or whatever. Yeah, he's rebounding the ball and playing the top of the 1-3-1 defensively, filling in for JP there after JP went out with over, you know, about 11 minutes to play at a media timeout. The interesting thing with Northern Iowa is you just played Marshall, who wants to run up and down and play right. fast and play no defense. And this is grind you out. Northern Iowa wants to do the exact opposite. They're going to slow it down, make it ugly in their gym, force you to, to make some outside shots to beat them, and... You know, I mean, it's just going to be a low-possession game. They're terrible offensively, but a really good defensive team. Where are they at, Ken Palm? They're like a top 80 team right now, somewhere around there. So, and they'll finish probably top 100-ish, I would I'd have to imagine. The potential to be a, a Tier 1 game. Yeah, I mean, they, yeah, could, yeah. they could get to 75 because they're going to improve in their conference. Gonna gonna explain that again for people because yeah. this year they've, they've changed the criteria. They've changed you, the criteria. Basically, a, a top 35 win at home is tier is tier one correct a top 50 neutral Neutral. win is tier one and a top 75 road Road win win is tier one so if they get into the top 75 this is potentially a a massive uh you know seed bump for xavier yeah and for those who don't know the reason xavier's playing this game is because of the gavit game situation two years ago where they got screwed out of that they had to find some some last-minute games to make up for it. And, keep and Northern it. Iowa wisely said, we'll do it, home and home. Yeah, keep their strength of schedule, keep their RPI. They tried to get creative. They, they Mar- Mario Mercurio came on our podcast and said that they even offered some big-time schools the opportunity to buy them for wow. the first time since he's been there, that they have done that. It didn't happen. One of they, them kind of close. Yeah, one of them yeah. fairly close, Yeah, down, down Interstate 75. <laughs> I'm not telling you how far you have to go, but not very. And uh, so this that's why they're headed to Northern Iowa. Though. That wasn't something they would have done ideally. Right. It's not something they just scheduled for this year out of the blue it was you know a return game that they had to play after kind of being caught at the gun there all right turn to uc um not much to talk about from the pine bluff game other than it cost uc a bunch of bunch of spots at rpi but let's go back to the ucla game though it was really it was a must win i mean yeah. based on on I, I don't think ucla is going to be great um but the pac-12 is not very good no so they could but, still finish near the top of that but they're going to be a top 75 team right yeah. so i mean there, there's your there's your where those tears come into play. Your main takeaway, though, from, from the UCLA game, just aside from the win itself. Um, I think the biggest thing that, that that they showed me in that game was when, at the end, UCLA's throwing in threes from everywhere. They're making a run, and UC answered their run with half-court offensive execution. And I think that's something we've wanted to see from them. That's something we've talked about from them. Um, and they they were really, really good at it against UCLA. Now, UCLA is not exactly the uh, toughest team in the country and a little bit soft on the defensive end, but you still have to take advantage of it and put the ball in the basket. And they were able to do that and keep them at bay and not let them get it within 10 and and make it interesting. So uh, I think that's by far the biggest takeaway. How how big of a deal is it that, you know, Kyle Washington now for a few games in a row has shown back up offensively. And obviously that was a big game on the yeah. road for him to show up. We've talked about sometimes he doesn't show up in those types of games. Uh, are, you know, are you getting good feelings about where he's headed? And Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's 
it's a process, and it's almost like they're doing it one by one. Yeah, in terms they're all of, taking their turns, getting it going. Not, yeah, like Jacob Evans now is is in a pretty good spot in a pretty comfortable groove. We talked, you know, two three weeks ago about Kane Broom struggling. He's gotten into a better groove. Then we talked about Kyle struggling after the Xavier game. He goes Mississippi State, um, UCLA, and he's named the Lute Olson Player of the Week. And I, I think they're just kind of one by one starting to find their place and starting to find. You know, Mississippi State, to go back to that briefly, if you're going to let Kyle Washington get six feet from the rim on the right block, you have no chance. Yeah. You have no chance. You've got to keep him off the block. I mean, (laughs) if he gets six feet from the rim on the right block, he's going over his right – there's left shoulder, left hand, or right shoulder, left hand, bang, he's putting it in, and there's they went six possessions in a row to him on that. Um, I think the big thing with him, and maybe it's because he was a little bit more engaged offensively, and was scoring some points. It was maybe his probably his best defensive game as a Bearcat. Yeah, you know, Thomas Welsh to four points. Right, and for Kyle Washington to hold Thomas Welsh to four points is is saying something. Yeah, he he was his effort was excellent on the defensive end. And if that light's starting to come on for him, and I, I, I you know, I'll, I'll take heat for this. I think Gary Clark's the best glue guy in the country. What, I, I don't understand calling him a glue guy though when he's the best player on their team. Like I get that he does everything, but he's the best player on their team. Like they look to him to be their go-to star. It's tough to call that your glue guy because that's but, how he plays. That's how he like plays. I, I think I'm with him because it is it is how he plays. Then that that would say to that, me that might be that, and that might that be, be a damning. problem. And that might that be, would be a problem yeah, for a team. Well, if your but best what has player happened? Is a glue guy. Jacob Evans has become the best player on the team, or has has started to grow into that role, which we talked about. It, it can't be Gary because you can't throw it to him and and slow play out of the post with him. We talked about this last week. I, I agree, yeah. I thought that was the problem in, in both the Xavier and the Florida game. They were trying to play through Gary too much. They started playing through Jacob more, and all of a sudden they, they get two wins against decent teams. Not great teams, but decent teams. And, I mean, let's be honest about something, too. Like, they they executed better. But they made some shots. Yeah, like it, absolutely. Everything is so much easier when they just make a few jumpers and those go in. Everything looks different. Yeah, and they shot the ball really well against UCLA. I mean, forty-seven percent from three. They're going to be damn near impossible to beat. Yeah, exactly. But the way they defend, no one's going to beat them if they shoot like that from the perimeter. So, it that'll. I think that's a big thing. Is how how often can they shoot like that for one? And then when they don't shoot like that, can they continue to create those types of looks? Because they got it going offensively the yeah. way they want to get it going. After they made some shots. Absolutely. And it's funny how much better a coach looks when the team makes some shots. There's Except a, for skinny. I mean. My, my team makes shots, and that still don't, that still don't look good. So, <laughs> all, all that. Uh, you see uh, anything to take away from, from the from the Pine Bluff game other than you just get through it and move on? and Get through it. I mean, if you look, Jacob Evans was the only starter that played more than 20 minutes. Correct. It was a bench game. It was. But I, I guess the one thing I'd say is that, is that Kane – had another good offensive yeah. game, and maybe from just from a He's sheer confidence, around. yeah, from a sheer confidence standpoint, he did it efficiently. What was it, six of eight six or six of nine? Yeah, and he missed nine. his last three. He started yeah. six of yeah. six. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's figuring out when he had a couple of those plays that I talked about last year that he would do in practice, where he gets the ball the the other free throw line, and he's at the rim laying it in before you can blink, and. He's finding that gear, when to turn that jet on, when to play like that. He's becoming more efficient in the half court. And that, and that can be so huge because it's, it's an easy bucket that yeah. you get right back. Yeah. I mean, it's either an easy bucket off of a, off of a rebound and go or off of just a make, and you go get a, go get the bucket right back. And, yep. and as opposed to what you talk about of you want to play with pace when you can, but but a lot of times it's walk it up, throw the ball in the post, takes forever to get things going, now you're down to 10 on the shot clock. Just get it right back. Throw it to him. Jet down the floor. Beat everybody on the floor. And go score it. Yep, that's that's one of the things that maybe he does best. Right. So they played to that strength a little bit um, tonight's not going to be any fun either against Cleveland State. They're a little bit. I mean, they're a little bit better in Pine Bluff, which I think they're still a three hundred RPI team. I they're think close. Pine Bluff was literally <laughs> one of the worst teams <laughs> they, I've ever seen. Yes, UC lost twenty spots in RPI because of that game. That, that's there how was move. there was one point where do you think Tacoa Falls could take on Arkansas Pine Bluff? Yeah, I that'd think be, that'd be a hell that, of a game. That should be a home and home, right? That should absolutely that be, a, be a home. There, and home. We was, need to try to get that scheduled. There was one point in the first half. Um, the guy from one of the guards from Pine Bluff had the ball like out near midcourt, and Jacob Evans literally just 
took it. Like like big brother, little brother. Take, yeah, that's he just, mine. He just took it and went down and dunked. Like you do not. That is not yours. You stop playing with that ball. Yep. Give it here. That's sad. It was. It was the first half, especially. I mean, it was what twenty six to two. Right. The first half, especially, it was like, oh my god, like Covcath would would <laughs> maybe give these guys a serious run. I mean, I think Covcath would be favored by thirteen or fourteen in that game. I'm not. If I, it's at Covcath, Covcath's favored <laughs> by thirteen or fourteen in that game. If they get the crazies, if they get the crazies going. Yeah, yeah. you could put it at, at uh, BB and T. And Covcast favored by four and a half or five, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah because the crazies would still come out, so yeah. it still would be good. Uh, Cleveland State is coached, though, by Dennis Felton, who did pull off one of the great uh, runs in, in, yeah. in maybe maybe NCAA history. He coach, and, and they're a little bit – he's got a veteran team. They're a little bit older. Yeah. Um, they're not quite where I would imagine he wants them to be by any stretch of the they're imagination. They're trash. They are they're terrible. terrible. They're terrible. <laughs> no, but I just want to bring up that, that run he had with Georgia the year where they had to win the two games in one day. And He's not a bad Four coach. games in a, in a yeah. three-day period when they had the tornado that, that hit the Georgia Dome. Still is one of the great runs of all time. I mean, he, had guy, he had three guys that couldn't even move all Why was he up. out of the game for seven years? He was an assistant for somebody, wasn't he? He could have Dean Smith. John Wooden it and Coach matter. K on his sideline for this game, and, and UC would win by thirty points. Correct, that is correct. They're bad. Yeah, they're bad. They're part of what's not been a very good, uh, very good Horizon League to this point either. No. So you want to touch on that? Then so you want to segue to that? Yeah, it's probably a good time. I mean, NKU played really, really well against Texas A and M. Really well. They did something that I wanted to see them do because after they lo- lose to UMBC. At UMBC, when that score popped up on my phone, I went, "That can't." That, that, that they just gave me a women's score. I, I really, I, I knew they were playing them. I, I that one stunned me. East Tennessee didn't. No, um, I mean that's a good team. That's yeah, around the similar yeah. spot as maybe the, mar- the margin might have, but they played them home and home. We talked about it last week. That that's got them here, lost there. Yeah, correct, and and that that happens. UMBC is like around like I think 180 somewhere around like the 200 level in terms of Ken Palm. I assume similar in RPI. I don't really check that regularly. NKU is about top 100, a little inside of that right now. That's a game you win on the road. Absolutely. And quite simply, NKU was clearly good enough to win the game. They just couldn't get stops. I mean, they showed their inexperience a little bit. And, you know, at times with certain lineups, they're not the longest or most athletic right. team. And I think that when they're not playing all the way up, you know, I mean, they don't have that that full energy level. Their defense they're not good enough to coast. Let's yeah, say they're 100%. not good enough to coast. And maybe that's maybe the best thing was the UMBC game because I guarantee you that had to be a, a talking point and a teaching point. It then shows up against a good opponent right before you just about get ready to go into conference play. So Texas A&M was without a couple starters. Yeah, though, yeah, but, but again, yeah, it, but, but I mean, they could have been playing their entire second unit, and that still would have been a heck of a performance by NKU. The biggest thing was I was very concerned that they just could not get stops away again, from yeah, BB&T. Right. right. And they went in Texas A&M and played with energy and played tough and and got stops and finished them off with defensive rebounds. The offense couldn't get it going right. and never made shots and missed several opportunities in the final two minutes. But it was good to see them get the stops at least finally away from home and play with that type of energy. And I think one thing that you have to talk about with John Brandon is he consistently gets this team up for the big games. Right. Every big game they've played, and they have not walked into one of those games and looked overmatched or scared or got their doors blown off in the first 10 minutes like yeah. you see a lot of these low-major teams do when they go play high-major opponents in their gyms. They're ready every time and in these games, even dating back to last year. Right. I mean, you, you saw it not just the Kentucky game, but you saw it in the tar- in the conference tournament that got them that, and you saw it late in the year when they had to get some some big wins and and uh, you know against some, what were some pretty good teams in the league last year. Yeah, but even in the non-conference games, every big – opponent that they've faced for the most part they've gone in there and shown well and at least played with oh yeah, half yeah. And, and stayed in the game and I think that you know we saw it with Memphis this year it's like you wish they would have pulled that out Memphis isn't great but you're still going into a big named team's gym and playing them tooth and nail and being ready for it. Not that Louisville's very good, but Louisville was in a dogfight at Memphis last weekend. So, um, you know, maybe that does say something about NKU. So did, the one thing I worry about with them, and it is, it goes back to this. Yes, they, they get up for those big games, but then you go to Maryland, Baltimore County, and, and you lose on the road. They, they've got to figure out a way in league play. When they go to Cleveland State. When they State. go to Cleveland State to get up for that right. game and not drop that game because, I mean, it's a one-bid league. But you would prefer the easiest easiest path possible once you get to that Horizon League tournament. And if you're dropping, you know, because they still have what they have the the the, the they have double buy for first and second seed, or have they change that. 
Yeah, I think there is the double buy for the first and second. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I totally agree with you, and it's what Skinny said. This team is not good enough to coast ever right. against anyone. I mean, not, not 200, not 300-level teams. Right. Defensively, they have to bring the energy every night. And that's a that's an experienced thing. You know, that's what seniors do, and we've talked about it. They still rely. I mean, their best defenders are young guys. It's yeah. Jalen Tate. You know, I mean, he gives them so much length, and he's, he's given them a lot on defense, but those guys have to learn what it's like to play hard every possession when you don't have your fans behind you when you're not hitting a bunch of threes. And you're right. I mean, they're, they're, we're going to see them sneak up in some games at at road places in the Horizon League against bad teams, and they're going to be struggling. And, it, and we'll see if they can pull those games out. Yep. I guess the, the good part, though, is in, I mean, it is a one-bid league, and when you start to size it up the league, we, we thought there were a couple of teams that were going to be better that just have not been very good at all. Um, I still think Oakland's really good, but they've been really inconsistent. UIC's been just garbage. They've been awful. You know, as much as you can look and go, you know, the, the, the Baltimore County game, I guess, everybody has an outlier. I mean, Carolina lost last night to, to Wofford. For good. There's, a, there's outliers. Don't that, mess that, with that, Wofford. That do, you're right. That do occur. I remember a Bearcats lost to Wofford. That's a good point. And Canisius, too. Many, many, Didn't many. Didn't Max almost lose to Wofford one year? Yeah, I think. I don't know. Beware of the Woffords. I think I remember it yeah, being it was a tight Wofford. game. And, was that the tip-in game? I can't, I can't keep them all straight. <laughs> they all run together after a while. They really do. But I guess the point is, I think NKU has probably done more than the rest of those teams in the league to make you go, I think they're the team to beat. I, and I thought it was Oakland, it may still be because they got guys, but NKU did, other than the Baltimore County game, I think they did just about what you would have hoped for in the non-league. They lose five? Seven yeah. and five. They're seven and five. And Losses to Vermont on a neutral by two. At Memphis, obviously in a close game. At A&M. At A&M, Baltimore County, and then the second game against East Tennessee. So one bad loss in the group. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think ideally, and I, I hate to admit this, but I've been some of the dark corners of the internet looking at Horizon League message boards, believe it or not. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and people I are... I, honestly, I think that's a federal offense, and I, and, and I, may, have to, I may have to get you on that. I'm on a list somewhere. Yeah, you have to be. That. There's no question. But... The fans of the Horizon League are upset with the way this league is performed, and they're worried about it. And I understand that because ideally, this this conference is I like not the fans of the league. How many are on this message board? Enough. Okay. I mean, and they're not happy. Where, where do you find said Horizon League message board? You ever heard of the dark web? This is this I is have. the sub dark web. I have. How much Bitcoin you got, my man? <laughs> not as much as uh, Darren McFadden thought he did. Okay. Well, anyway. You would prefer that this league is up there, you know, with the MAC, with the Summit yes. League, um, with the Ohio Valley Conference. Conferences like that, they should be in the mix. They're a, a fairly decent amount behind those. Well, I don't, I don't think right the OVC is very good this year either. Well, but I mean, but if you're looking at how the teams are performing you're right. you're and right. their metrics, you're right. Their Heisen League's behind the America East, the Big Sky, the Patriot, the Big West. I mean, they're down there with the Big South, Southland, Atlantic Sun. So, Which is brutal. Yeah, this is not where you want to be. But at the same time... Because you were in the Atlantic Sun, and it was good to get out of the Atlantic Sun. Exactly right. But my message to the fans who are worried about it would be exactly what Chad just brought up. It's a one-bid league. It's fun basketball. Like, you can say the teams are underperforming in the non-conference. That'd be true. But you still have some fun styles with some fun star power within the league. Sure. So it's going to be a fun season to watch. And at the end of the day, only one of these teams get to play in the NCAA tournament. So it really does not matter that you, where the conference is ranked in terms Correct. of things. Because it's not like, oh, the, this year's the conference RPI is better. You're going to get two teams in. No. You only get one no matter what. So the only thing that matters is what that one team does at the end of the year. It's kind of worthless. I mean, I guess long-term, the brand of the league, you're always hoping that you're going to grow and you aspire to better things. But it's kind of unrealistic, I think, to think that the Horizon League is going to do much better than the current state it's at right now. Yeah, probably. I, I just There was just a couple of teams I thought would have performed a little bit better. I mean, maybe not even from a wins-loss perspective, but some of it is just, they just get rolled. Do, yeah, it has not been. Do you good. have a membership? Like, are, are, No, it's not like a premium. No, but I mean, like, are you reg like a registered user? Like, he is. Comment? He is. He's smiling. He, he is. He does. No oh, comment? my goodness. <laughs> like, you legit, like, for the morning. Did you use your name? No. Do you have, do you have, a, do you have a, like, a sign? Yeah. yeah you, I've said you, too much. Norse, wow. Norse up. <laughs> if, you, if one of you guess it, I, I'll buy you a six pack. I'll have to think about it. Yeah, but. yeah. Don't, I mean, don't guess right now. Yeah, I'm not gonna guess. Podcast, out, yeah, I'm not you, gonna guess out loud. Yeah, if you come up with it at some point. Holy cow! He really did. Yeah, just just that smile that crossed it his was. face. It was. 
Wow. I mean, I hope they saw that. That's semi-embarrassing because what it is. That's why I had to ask. Like, you guys were were rambling about it, and all I could think of is, like, is he a member of this message board? Is he, like, this online community of of Horizon League fans? So so on a Friday night, single eligible bachelor on a Friday night, what does he do on a Friday night? Deep dives into the Horizon League message board. What's Milwaukee doing? (laughs) (laughs) Pretty good. Pretty good. Wow. Um, I'll touch on, on Kentucky, and, and we didn't. We were talking before. We, we didn't include them in, in the top five group, and I don't think they should be. But they are playing better. They're, uh, starting, look, to, they're starting to get it. I've seen a lot of disrespect for Virginia Tech. I think they're pretty good. That's a really good Virginia Tech team. That's like I've I've seen a, I've seen a bunch of people like just dismiss that Buzz Williams team. That's a really good Virginia Tech team, especially offensively. And there were a couple times there where Kentucky was in danger of, of getting their doors blown off, and they responded. They got stops every time. They they played better offensively than um, I've expected them to play. Uh, I, I'm I'm pretty impressed with them well, after that Virginia Tech game because that was a game where you had to keep up. Correct, correct. And it's I, coming at the right time because that was the first of a stretch of games. Yeah. Because then UCLA again, I don't think they're great. But it's on a neutral, and you know if UCLA you don't, can score, correct. And then Louisville, which again is not playing very well either. But and then right in the conference play, this is coming just about the time you want your team to start playing better, and they are. And yeah. they're starting. They're starting to get it a little bit. I, I was really impressed with what I saw from them Saturday. I have. I've been impressed with them. I thought that win was a big win, and like like we said on the last podcast, they're a team that each week. You do see it, and we know Camp Cal is coming. Camp Cal's coming. So they're going to get massively better during that week. But um, I tweeted this out the other night. They showed a graphic, and the RPI is trash, and you'll see why when you hear these rankings. But it is interesting to see. We t- we hammered the SEC last year on right. the podcast about how it underachieved, and it wasn't that good. And rightfully so. And rightfully so. But this year, you've got Kentucky ranked 25th in the RPI right now. and Was that, like fourth in the league? No. Missouri is number six. Arkansas is number seven. Texas A&M is ninth. Tennessee is 15th. Alabama 24th. All ahead of UK right. in the RPI. And again, RPI is trash, but this conference is going to make up for some of the spots that the Big Ten is going to lose. I agree. Yeah, we talked about that before. I'm, I'm not sure the Big Ten gets more than three or f- at most four, maybe. Right? Yeah. And I think the when you start looking, okay, well, someone has to get in. Who's going to take up those spots? Look to the SEC. I think they're going to get maybe two more teams in. And, and frankly, we, you and I talked about this on the phone. In the in the Big East, honestly, might lose one spot we thought they might get because Providence has just been dreadful. Yeah, but here's the thing. I think Creighton's been enough better to sort of take – Creighton's been that bona fide top 25 yeah. team that we thought Providence might be. And so it kind of has given you the, another lock. You've got four locks now, I think, for the NCAA but they tournament. they might only get five. Well, I think two of the other four will get in. When you think about you've got St. John's, um, Butler, Marquette. Marquette, Providence. Two of those teams probably get in in addition to the four locks. I think you still get six teams in from the Big East tournament. There's even a possi- possibility. And for anybody that looks at Georgetown seven. and sees them 9-1, and one, that, that won't stay. They're the best team in the MEAC. Th- that, that, that above 500, yeah, that above 500 level will quickly start to erode once they get in the league. You'll, you'll start seeing the right outcome. Syracuse is not very good, but they, yeah. they were right there with Syracuse. So, Yeah, man, I don't think they're terrible, but they've they're done not, themselves no favors yeah. with the schedule they've played either. They're completely not ready. Correct. Correct. Um, I do want to uh, touch on on a on a couple other things, and, and um, I want to get to spit it to out. Lo- yeah. well, I want to get to the losses. We you touched on it a little bit earlier with North Carolina. We've seen some just weird losses this year. Carolina losing at home. Um, I don't think Indiana's weird losses. I mean, if you can't beat a team team twice, you've played them. Maybe you're just not very good. Yeah, Indiana's not that good. Yeah, but we've seen some 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 of these games this year. Indiana is, beating Notre Dame could be considered one of yeah, those yeah, losses. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Actually, that's maybe. probably weirder than Indiana maybe. getting beat. I mean, is it really is it is it as much of I guess a dispersal of talent? Is it that some of these teams, as you mentioned, just don't have that guy when you when you need a bucket and you need somebody to create. I mean, Joel Ca- Berry's on North Carolina, like they've got that guy. See, I, I don't know he's I, a score. I mean, that's I, I that's I think their issue. Like if you look at it, okay, so Joel Berry is supposed to be their best player or go to guy, and he's shooting shooting three pointers coming off dribble handoffs from three feet behind the three point line in crunch time. Like, what's his what's he do? in crunch time to break somebody down. Right. You know what I mean? Like, how does he get his points? Like, I know he can score throughout the course of a game, but if it's crunch time and you say, who's our bucket getter? 
I don't think they know who it is. Like, they didn't look confident saying, okay, we're going to give it to Joel and he's going to do this. It's Joel's getting the ball with seven or eight seconds left and he's shooting from three feet behind the three-point line. It just, they're a team, and I don't want to act like Roy Williams. This is how Roy Williams always coaches. He lets his players play. He doesn't call timeouts to drop set plays late in the game. He lets his guys go make Maybe a play. Maybe he should. Well, with this team, maybe with this team he should. Yeah, but I mean, I think it depends on the team. Maybe with this team he should. With this team, I mean, your, your best scorer is Luke May. You know, and he's not great. And you're not going. What's he going to do at the end of the game situation to create your offense? And so that, like, I mean, I think they legitimately have that problem. It's the same thing Kansas has. Kansas has Devontae Graham, who's great, but like, it hasn't proven to be enough when they find themselves in tough situations yeah. and need to get the lid off the basket. They don't have a lot of guys who can go create offense and be a killer in those moments. I think we're seeing that with some of the top teams. I mean, look, look at the top teams. Teams like Purdue, same same issue. You know, all the teams that you look at and you think, okay, they're good. I like them. They're maybe top 10, top 15, but they're not like an elite team. I think maybe Kentucky falls into that because if you go back to the Kansas game, who was the, they had one guy scoring, but they had nobody really creating, right? And, and they haven't really faced that a whole lot because of the schedule that they've played. And maybe, maybe a guy develops, but right. I, that's why I go back to when you have a guy – like like Oklahoma has, I mean he does he does so much that I wouldn't want to play him in the tournament. I mean he'd be scary as can be. No, and they're not just him either. They've no, got, right? They've got a team of guys. They're playing well. He put together a really nice freshman class. Yeah, and I, I like Lon Kruger too. I think he, he's done it a lot of different places. For goodness sakes, um, one other thing I want to touch on before I let you guys have have final take is um, I know you saw it. I'm sure you did too. Chris Holtman, the Ohio State coach, floating the idea that we actually talked about of maybe. Doing he's, he's floated. He's been floating it since yeah. he, the day he got the job. Of the the four teams: Xavier, UC, Dayton, and and, uh, and Ohio State playing in a um, a, a tournament ish format or one day format um, in in Columbus. I, I like the idea. I don't know if I like the idea of it always being in Columbus if they do it, but I, I like. I, I want more regional rivalries. I know you're going to disagree with me. You probably will too. I just like. I I wish UC. Played Dayton in Miami. I really, I wish Xavier played Dayton in Miami. I just like region. I wish Kentucky played Indiana. I, I just, I think regional rivalries are good for fans. You, I know you're going to tell me that, that that that's not, you know, teams don't need to care about that. But I, I think it is. I think it's, I think it's good for college basketball and good for fans. Um, I don't like the idea of if it's always going to be in. I wouldn't mind seeing it rotate or find another neutral place. I don't think Chris and Mick will do it if it's always going to be in Columbus. Just a hunch. No, there's, I agree with that. There's no reason they should. Like right. it's ridiculous at this point, especially. Here's the thing with this. You're right. He's been floating this out there, but it's more like been a behind the scenes. Finally, we this just was, got our was, yeah. first attributed, hey, this is actually happening, and he's pushing for this to happen, um, an actual report with sources and everything. So it's real now, but the problem is Holtman's already tipped his hand. He's already said, I'm willing to play these teams. He's already scheduled a home-and-home home with Cincinnati. Well, see, Cincinnati wants to play him every year. Right, and and he's already done it once, scheduled the home-and-home home once. You have to imagine he'd be willing to schedule one with Chris if he's already done that with Mick, and he has the working relationship with Chris, and they kind of already have that Xavier rivalry from when he was at Butler. Why, why if Xavier already has that opportunity and UC already has that opportunity, why, why would you make it? Why home? would you just make it a neutral site game every year in Columbus? Yeah. Well, well, not, not even a, neutral, but it would be their place every year. Not only why that, would you include but Dayton. Well, then you have to. You're not only guaranteeing yourself that you have to go up there to play them every other year. You're also guaranteeing you have to go up there the other year right. to play Dayton in a neutral. That no one, neither Xavier or UC is going to agree to do this, nor should they. What they should say is. Chris, this is great. If you want to do this so much and you want it to be a big event for the entire state and you guys want to pump up your alumni base and get your fans in a, in a different market to see you, that's great. Let's go come, to Cleveland or no, come here. No, come, come on here. down to Cincinnati and play where we've got two marquee teams because this is the mecca of basketball in the, in the state of Ohio. This is where the best basketball is played. We've got two teams. You've got one, and Dayton doesn't really count right now. They're, they should just be happy to be involved in something like this. So... That's the only option to me is, and and honestly, that won't happen unless U.S. Bank is re renovated yeah. because you don't really have the spot to do it. And Ohio State is never going to agree to that. So I don't see a way this ever gets done. To be honest, I think what you end up seeing is a is a, a long term home and home with Cincinnati and home and home. I don't know long term if that's what Xavier wants, but I don't know that they're going to get a long term like every year with Cincinnati. I could see them. What I think they should just do is schedule. I know they're talking about it. Yeah, I mean, that they can talk all they want. I don't think that's going to work out as being like an every-year rivalry type of thing. Um, I I could see them doing like two years with Cincinnati, 
two years with Xavier, two years with Cincinnati, doing something like that if they're going alternate. I think that's more likely than the Crossroads Classic idea. The only other thing I could see that that maybe would make enough sense for Cincinnati and, and UC, Cincinnati and Xavier, rather, is if they said, okay, we'll rotate between the three arenas, excluding Dayton. Dayton can play if they want. If not, they're not involved. And they'll rotate between Ohio State, Xavier, and UC, playing it in those three places. So you're not you're only going to Columbus one out yeah. of the three years, and, and that brings Ohio State down here twice, twice, twice in that in that rotation. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be opposed to that. I I just would like I'd love to see something like that happen. I, I, I again, I'm not I, against it. I'm not against it happening. I just I, the way that it's being presented right now, I don't correct. think it's going to happen. Yeah, I just don't see a way it works, and I don't see a way that it would make sense for UC Cause, or Because here's the question: what, How does it benefit UC or Xavier to go to Columbus every year? It doesn't. It that, doesn't. Correct. That, that's my whole point. And it doesn't. They they can easily schedule. Um, a game and, to make and, up for Ohio State and, for one. And truth and, be told, from as we're speaking currently, Xavier and UC are on better footing from a program perspective. Now, Chris Holtman could certainly change that. And in, in Ohio State, we've seen him play for a national championship, for goodness sakes, it, in, in the last decade or so. So that can change. But as we sit here today, right now, those two programs are on better footing than Ohio State is. They have upper hand to some degree. There is a time where this would have made a lot of sense for UC and Xavier. And Correct. they would have said, we'll do it. Absolutely. We'll do it no matter what. No, absolutely. Just please play us. This isn't that time anymore, and quite honestly, I think the shoe's on the other foot now. I think UC and Xavier should say, no, you need us. Like, if you want to come down here and play with us, you can do that, but we're, we're better than you And I'll right be honest, now. I think it would benefit Ohio State. It, get, it gets you in front of another group of fans that aren't going to Columbus for, for basketball. Well, they have Columbus a ton for football. of alumni here. No doubt. No, I'm, I'm with you. I, I, don't, I'm not a, I, I would just like to see something like it happen because, I, again, I like regional rivalries. I, I, th- I just think there should be more of them in college basketball. We just don't have enough of them. They, they have a ton of people that go to Walmart and buy shirts here. Alumni. <laughs> There's that. All right, you got a final take time, Chad Brendel? Um. I, interesting for me uh, over the past couple days i've been dealing with the uh the early signing period for football and um it's it's going to be interesting for me to watch what what happened was like 80 percent of the kids signed so now you're talking you've got all these schools that are still you know have Looking three four couple, five yeah. spots somebody did the math on the numbers of like actual What's like left? quality players that are left there's like 400 players left wow. for all of the, you know, there's 70, you know, high major power five programs or whatever. There's like 400 players left for all of those. It's going to become the spring signing period in basketball is how I relate this back. Because if, I was I was waiting for that. Because if you like if you were like a, a high two star kid that didn't sign, all of a sudden you're going to get like Illinois, Purdue. You know, Northwestern, all are going to be, you know, knocking on the door. And you're going to – how many times have we in the spring seen a kid that gets, like, five major offers and we watch that kid play three or four times? We're like, a kid would be good at Belmont. Right. But that's now happening in football, which I think is uh, pretty entertaining. Well, I guess the question, will that that allow maybe a late-blooming kid then who is a two-star, three-star kid to to really – be a steal for a team maybe but what it'll allow for more is now you're going to see the transfer epidemic as they like to call it will move to football because there'll be coaches reaching and taking players that aren't good enough for their roster and, and then in you're two trying years to punt, you're trying to punt them out the door in two years that player will realize that they're not good enough and i i, I want another thing on the on the stick with football for one second what's your take on the new i don't know if you've looked at it yet the new rules surrounding the 25 player limit on a signing class I've always liked it. I don't know what the new rule is. I didn't see the new rule, but I've always liked it. How about this? If you sign a kid that doesn't qualify, remember how he counts. I'm not opposed to that. So if you look, there's a kid from Cincinnati that's committed to Kentucky that didn't sign. I won't throw his name under the bus. But he didn't sign because his grades are in question, and and now schools can't risk it. Do you have any thoughts on that, Rick? Now your number is your number. Like, you can't. Because what happened? What used to happen but, was like Tennessee get, but, but would you get, sign. But you get thrown back in the pot, though, where somebody maybe plucks you with, uh, after all the process is over with, too, though. Potentially. Potentially. I mean, you'd have to wait until the very end until he was admitted to school. I mean, 25 is still a lot of guys. It really is. I mean, start adding the numbers up with red shirts and that. That's a lot of dudes. It is. But there's 85 scholarship players. Right. So with a little bit of attrition, that's what your roster looks like. Now, I guess you could point to the NFL, and they have, what, 44 active? 
47. 47 46. active. 50, 53 on a 53 yeah. man roster, 7 inactive on Sunday. And they play with 46 every yeah. Sunday, so yeah. you don't really need the 85. No, you don't. Trust me, you don't. Is, is Jed outside? Do we just want to bring him in here and start the football podcast now? We'll do it. No, no. I, 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 do you, do, I want to get back to this real quick. Do you like the early signing period for football now? Loved it. Okay. I, the coaches? I, um, coaches at Cincinnati do. I, I was watching ESPNU the other night, and Nick, Nick Saban didn't seem too happy with not being able to. Uh, He's got a little more important things yeah. than winning recruiting battles. No, he, see, he was talking about recruiting very, very angrily, and he, he is not happy with the fact that they can no longer wait until – January eighteenth, and go. Oh, you're committed. Where? Yeah, you want you want you come to us. Alabama would like to talk. Yeah, he, yeah. he's very upset that they can't do well, that. He anymore. would like to finish his season first before he has to. There is get that all too. Design. There's a lot of teams. I mean, because there's only a handful of bowls that have been played, and everybody would. I think UC and uh, who else didn't? And Miami didn't make a bowl, so everybody makes a bowl these days. Um, final take for you. Big bowl. I, I, I know where we're going. I, I was just say. I, I, I hang on. Go ahead. Why do you even say final take at this point? I know. Baller. Your, your final your final LeVar ball take of the day. Oh, no, no, not even final. Your LeVar ball take of the week. Okay. I have thoughts, obviously. One. And prayers or just thoughts? The Junior Basketball Association is a horrible name. For a guy that we are hyping as a marketing genius. And I not, think, we're not we. And I you. think rightfully so. You. Ah, that's, that's just an awful branding. And here's the other thing. I don't think he has any intention of ever doing this. This is like Trump saying he's going to build a wall in Mexico. Like, you say you're going to do it because it sounds good. You're fighting a battle against a certain group that's popular do to fight against. Do you think he has an official business plan that he's put together for this? I don't. Or do you think he scratched I, that on a napkin and went, this sounds like a good thing to say? I highly question their ability to put together enough apparel and shoes for 80 basketball players like they're planning on. Let doing. alone pay them. What were they going to pay them? $5,000 a month? Ten. Well, ten. Three, ten. three to 10. So three probably ten. like averaging around five okay. or so. Um, I'm also not sure if he's ever heard of the G League or the NBA Developmental League. Uh, there are a lot of questions, but basically what I think he saw is... Should have been just the Junior Bowler Association. Exactly right. Couldn't agree more with you. There were so many easy things to implement the Big Baller brand into this, and he went with the Junior Basketball Association. Just terrible. JBA. How could you? It, how, how is it not BBB? Like, he had to come up with something that the, was BBB. The Big, big, big ball, Baller Association, Association would be BBA. Perfect. Yeah, there you go. Uh, big baller basketball. Big baller basketball. BBB. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's the, that's very worrisome for to, to me, which is why I think he really didn't put a lot of thought into this, believe it or not, and he has no intention of doing it. I think what he's doing is he was not in the news cycle for this week. He's moving to Lithuania, so it's he needs, he needs going himself to be some, back in. Yeah, he need, he needs to make sure he's got the the press running about him before he leaves town, and he goes, oh. What's been doing well? Oh, Jay Billis has that cool thing where he rips on Mark Emmert and the NCAA constantly. A lot of people are are willing to fight for that right now that seem to like me. So he takes shots at them and acts like he's fighting this war against Mark Emmert now. Probably had like four or five glasses of Hendog. Yeah. <laughs> like he was firing those tweets off four, four classes in. And I don't hate the move, but like... The I mean, we've got... There's, there, we have Darren Ravel doing breaking news reports for stuff this man says, and it's like, wow. You're not going to vet this at all? You're not going to ask any questions about how this is actually going to I happen? Say, where in the world are they going to get the money to pay these the supposed salaries of the three to $10,000 a month? You're not going to have enough fans. It's loaded, man. You're not, yeah, okay. Well, Not that loaded. Not to pay. Do the math on 80 times 5,000. I don't, I, don't I don't hate the idea of this league I wouldn't hate the idea of it working. Actually, I think it'd be kind of interesting to see. The problem is... I just thought that you, you wouldn't have enough kids that would well, do it. That's exactly you what I was going to say. If you were actually being serious about this, which he's not, so it's not really worth getting into, but if he were trying to put this together, I think it'd be great. The problem is there's only, what, two to three kids a year right now that this probably would make sense for? Yeah. And in the long run, if it all works out, maybe you can convince 10 to 15. But that's it. You're not filling you out... enough for two teams. You're not filling out an 80-league roster... With guys that are actually good, eighty player or, roster, yeah, eighty player roster, eighty yeah. player roster, ten teams, eight players each. Yeah, I mean that's just not realistic. You're not going to find that many guys. I mean, for one, it's going to be guys who have gotten arrested or something like that. Anyways, it's going to be last chance type of guys sure. to begin with, and there's just not going to be enough of them. The, the Zion Williamsons are still going to Duke. You know, like you're not going to get those types of kids. I think the three on three old man basketball is more interesting. 
Probably. It probably had more people wanting to watch it than Correct. That was a fun Correct. league until Correct. everybody got hurt. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and the old man factor kicked in, unfortunately. And there is the factor people always forget when they talk about college basketball and the NCAA and the, the disservice it's doing to all these kids. And, and I agree with a lot of that. But there is the fact that people care about a lot of these college basketball players and then them as NBA players because they care about their school. They care about right. their college team. If they go play in some other ridiculous league that they, these people didn't graduate, the fans didn't graduate from, they won't just go watch them because they were Correct. a highly rated high school athlete. Like one or two a year, maybe. The Zion Williamson, maybe. But you're not getting him. They're not going to do it to watch Lonzo Ball even. He's not special enough to make people care about a developmental. No league. doubt. No, it, it, it's not going to. And the other part, too, as much as you – I'm sure he's thinking, hey, these kids don't want to go to class. Blah, blah. The, a lot of these guys that do it, they still like the structure, and they still need the structure. And as yeah, opposed I don't know to, if they like it, but they well, need it. Maybe they don't, but they do need it. That's that's the part, whether they want to, want to believe it or not. I think that even just the one year of that structure, as opposed to just going right from high school, having – Changing your pocket and going on with it—it's it, just not going to work for well, a lot of these guys. Well, they need to be coached, correct? They need to, correct. They need to have a trainer physically. I mean, look at what guys like Mike Rayfelt and Matt Jennings have done for the athletes at UC and Xavier. Not just in terms of getting them to be, be better basketball players, but just like in general life, health. Yep. You know what I mean? Like the, the, they have completely transformed those guys and how their work ethic and everything they do physically for the better going forward and really made them more mature individuals because of stuff like that, that stuff does matter, and it sets you up for success long-term. What if LeBar Ball gave you a franchise, though? Would you take it? <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> we would win the league every year. Could you imagine what I'd be allowed to do in terms of acquiring players for that league? There's There has to be no would, rules. Would, would, would B. Snow be your GM? I bet he could get some players. No. Snow's not. Snow has relationships, not nearly smooth enough to pull off all the stuff he talks about. He thinks because he has some gear from all these different colleges that like high school kids are going to say yes to him. I don't see any high high school kids see B. Snow and be like, "You probably shouldn't be within a hundred yards of here, sir." So I don't. I don't really think he's the guy I want recruiting these kids for me. B. That was Rick Bohr, In case you're wondering, just, just wow. he knows where I live. I know. I know. I know. He's a regular listener to this podcast. Yeah, that's well. awesome. Shots fired. Shots fired. The Rick Boring franchise. We know who he's not going to hire, apparently. <laughs> there you go. So you're out. I yep. put him in the front office. He knows what he's talking that's about. That's what I said. It's going to be a GM. Great evaluator of talent. I just don't want him he's going the to acquire he's, the talent. He's the analytics guy, right? Make him the analytics guy. Yeah, he's not great at math. Okay, well. He went to Sycamore. Make, yeah. him, make him some. Yeah, you make him some, something in the front office, right? Yeah. There you go. The Rick Boring franchise. I'll get on that. I'll write a letter to LeVar and see if you can get, get one because he, he, he's going to need some team owners. Send him a couple links to this podcast. If, I, if he found out how big a fan Rick was oh, of the baller brand. No question. If we have to do big baller reads in the new year, that'd be a great thing for this podcast. What what did you think of um, when the shoes went out that the, the sizes were all incorrect? The and, colors were different. And nobody got the shoes that they ordered. They the, just got random, random big baller yeah. shoes. Man's a, man's a marketer, not a businessman, as goofy as that sounds. It's amazing. I mean, it truly is amazing. They're just shipping out shoes that, that weren't even what they prototyped or what people ordered. And that surprises you? KFC from Barstow ordered 10s. No, really. He got 13 and a half. Close enough. Wear a couple extra pairs of socks, right? Better, better they're too big than too small. That's true. They came in a great box. Had like they velvet did. on the inside. It's beautiful. Had the little really magnet. Impressive looking. Yeah. Beautiful. Where, where's your Where's your GoFundMe uh, rate for that then, right uh, now? Got a little something coming for you, Skinny. Okay. Don't worry. about it. Right, I'm looking forward to it. All right, boys. That's all we got for this week, right? Uh, I'm done. Have a merry Christmas, a happy holiday. You as well, sir. Thank you kindly. Uh, for Rick Boring, who's out of his mind. For Chad Brendel, actually was saner than normal this week. I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Skinny Podcast, the College Basketball Edition.